Darnell Williams at the tailback. They'll hand it off to Williams up the middle. 25. Cuts it inside. 30. 35. 40. There goes Cadillac. To the 50. To the 40. To the 30. To the 20. To the 15. 10. Go crazy, Cadillac. Go crazy. Touchdown. Now they can play a little safer. But they're not going to. Nix is back. Throws it downfield. Caught. Touchdown, Williams. A 20-yard attempt. Josh Harris, the snapper. He'll call to the place. He'll hold it. Byron waits for the snap to the place. There it is. The kick is up. The kick is good. Auburn wins. 22-19. What's going on, everybody? And welcome to another episode of the Auburn Today podcast. As always, my name is Noble. I'm joined here with my co-host, Wheeler. Today we have a lot to talk about after Auburn's heartbreaking loss to LSU last week. Landon King just entered, not entered the transfer portal, but has declared that he will be sitting out this season uh, to redshirt. He announced that today. We'll get into all of that a little later. But I think that the most important thing that has happened today that will cause all Auburn fans to rejoice, especially in light of, you know, this coming Saturday Aaron Judge hit number 62 tonight, which means that they will stop doing the split screen after every single at-bat that he has. So let's just be happy that Aaron Judge hit number 62 and we don't have to watch college football and baseball at the same time. Because if we cared about baseball, we'd be watching baseball. Regardless, though, Wheeler, why don't you just walk us through your thought process? You know, we were together, you know, the day of the game, kind of talking about everything. You were, you know, I would say most Auburn fans were pretty low. We didn't really expect that much. I would say we were surprised with how we played, jumped out to that early start, and then reality set in and the wheels just came off. But just kind of give us your thoughts about kind of how you felt at the beginning of the game. We jumped out to the early start with the momentum. What kind of changed? Where did you see the momentum shift in the most part? And then just kind of walk us through where you were at for the second half. Oh my, the Brian Harson experience. You got to love the old jump out to the first quarter lead like you have in the past six SEC games. And you knew, you absolutely knew that when we got the ball on that drive up 17 to zero, disaster is upon us. It always is with the Brian Harson team. They find a way to lose, okay? I know that I was negative last week. I did get higher on the team going into the game, and I predicted that the score would be 24-17. to 17. Pretty good. Um, yeah, no. Uh, this Saturday made me feel so sorry for the guys that are on the Auburn football team that they have to play for a coach that I'm not convinced is not tanking. Like, I know in my head that he's not tanking because, like, it makes no sense to tank. Going, I mean, it. it's just, it hurts me. His decisions hurt me physically. Why, on the 10-yard line, are you running the receiver pass? Why are we calling a timeout in the second half to decide to throw basically a punt deep ball on fourth and 10. 
why are we running the punt deep ball twice in the fourth quarter on fourth and ten? Why, why, why? Here's the thing. Hot take right now from Cole Kubelik was saying, well, what do you want him to do? You can't score on traditional offense. You got to do something creative. And I would buy that so much if last year against South Carolina, when we needed a fourth down play, we did not try throwing the ball deep. And last year against Penn State, we did not try the receiver pass that ended in a turnover. This is year over year of the worst time trick plays and gimmick things like throw it deep on fourth and 10. Because guess what? When you play in the Mac, those teams are like, oh, there's the ball. I'm going to catch it. I'm going to pick it off. Granted, he did get it right. LSU did pick it off the second time. The first guy wasn't getting near it. Because why are you going to intercept the ball and lose 50 yards? It hurt me. I felt terrible for the players. I really did. They played their hearts out. I thought Brandon Council did a much better job than what we've seen on the offensive line. They still didn't have a great push up front, but they had enough push to win the football game. It was not the offensive line's fault that the team did not win this football game. I thought, I mean, obviously, Robbie had his best game ever. I think Robbie is improving game over game. And if he continues to improve, he could be a really, really solid SEC quarterback in the years to come. I mean, seriously, Robbie could be the quarterback for Auburn's future. Um, And you're kind of going through some growing pains right now. But, I mean, he's gotten better throwing every single week. Now, do I think by the end of this season that he's going to be able to throw the ball? Not necessarily. I mean, I think he'll be better every game. Um, But given an offseason, I definitely think he can improve throwing the ball. Um, So he could be a serious... I mean, he could turn into Malik Willis. He really could, and he could be an NFL draft prospect. If he's able to get the ball, be able to throw the ball effectively, he's an NFL draft prospect, no doubt in my mind. Um, So that was a bright spot. Um, I feel really bad for Tank. I mean, every time the guy gets the ball in open field, he makes incredible plays. Um, But every time he's in the game, they just stack the box with eight. I was glad to see that we finally called some deep shots because it's like, I mean, obviously, they've been stacking the box all season. You have an athletic quarterback. Tell him to roll out and then throw it deep, and the guy's hopefully going to beat his man. And they did over and over and over. And then I there there's no explanation for the collapse in the second half. I can understand the defense struggling in the second half because they're not very deep right now. Um, with a Cam Riley injury, with Ekuliota being injured, um, and just having some transfers that came in and were honestly just not as good as we were expecting them to be. I understand the defense wearing out. I do not understand how the offense is so horrible in every second half of Brian Harson's career. I don't understand it. I like Noble, I need you to come in and remedy or explain to me how you can just go game after game after game and get absolutely whipped on the adjustments and just not score in the second half. Uh, I really I I really liked the analogy you used when you said that Brian Harson might be tanking because if we're in the NFL and the NFL was watching these games, they're sending someone to take a look at Auburn's program like, 
are these guys trying to lose these big time games? Because it's the kind of thing where the players obviously are not like there has not been a single player that you watch and you're like, this guy doesn't want to win. The players are given their hardest effort, but the coach, they're just not put in a position to win. Like Coy Moore. Okay. Coy Moore had one of the worst games you could possibly have from a wide receiver that didn't just drop the ball a ton. Like, his hands were fine. He actually, I mean, he had he he had some yards, if I'm not mistaken. He did have a yeah, drop. So he had he had 55 yards. Had he didn't have a drop, but had some good plays. Then he, I mean, obviously the last interception that was not Robbie's fault that just got ripped away from Coy's hands. That's unfortunate. That's something you can't happen. But also, that's not an effort thing. Like that's that that's just not being aware that the safety's coming down on you. Like I. I don't really blame anybody for that one. I do. I blame Keesaw for running the same play six times. And that and is definitely the DB fair. coming into the press conference and saying, oh, yeah, as soon as they lined up, I knew exactly what they were running because they had already run it six times in this half. Exactly. But, I mean, uh, uh, my thing is, see, I, I don't know what to say with that because I do agree that he did call that same play. We all knew that was coming. The safety came down, bit on it hard you would like that you could do another play that would get behind the safety because you knew it was coming down so hard. But at the same time, it was there. Like, I mean, if Coy Moore doesn't just get ripped, it's there. So, I, I don't know. I've, I think that that was not a great play call from Keesaw, but I think he had worse in this game. The one that was the worst was second, second goal from the 10-yard line. You decide, and obviously I get, they don't have confidence in Anders. You know, Brian Harson comes into his post game or his interview yesterday, talks about how much faith they have in Anders. Brian Harson has lied just multiple times flat out in this whole, you know, in his whole press conference thing. That was one of them. You don't go for it for, on fourth and 10 twice from inside the 40 when you have faith in your kicker. You don't run the wide receiver sweep pass in the red zone when you have faith in your kicker when it's a, you know, one score game. I just, you can't get mad at Coy Moore for that because obviously it was a bad boy. But what do you expect the wide receiver to do? They're telling him, yo, don't take a sack. He's trying to avoid the sack. He's going to throw it up. And obviously he's not good at throwing the ball because he's a wide receiver. He's a good wide receiver. Why are we throwing it with him? And I get it. Maybe if it's fourth down and you're going to throw something that they're not going to see coming, Maybe, maybe I see it. Still then, I really don't. It's second down. Run your offense. You've been driving down the field. Run your offense, man. It makes no sense to do that play. We tried so much trickery, and most of it didn't work. And that's something – Gus Malzahn, he called a trick play just about every game. And sometimes it was really bad, and it was at a bad moment. But even the times when it was at a bad moment, it was desperation. Like when we had Chandler Cox throw the ball in the Iron Bowl, it was because they were like, we're not moving this ball. They're beating us. We have to do something to possibly get a touchdown or catch them off guard. And obviously some of those plays, you know, you can remember Anders getting absolutely lit up by Dylan Moses right at the fourth down line. That was bad. Chandler Cox play, that was bad. But all those, the game was kind of already starting to get completely out of hand. You know, Gus didn't run. When Gus ran trick plays, they usually worked when they were in you know, competitive games. Brian Harson, I don't know if you can say that. And I just didn't think Robbie gave you a reason to do a trick play. Maybe against Missouri when you're just like, our offense can't do anything. Robbie threw for over 300 yards. 
if you had told me at any point this season that Robbie Ashford could throw for over 300 yards in a game, I would have said you're wrong, especially without turning it over. I mean, Robbie didn't have – I would say Robbie didn't have a forced turnover. And you can count the last – I mean, on the last play of the game, he had that – I mean, he had the interception. That wasn't his fault. The fumble that they scored on is just unfortunate. You can't you can't get mad at the quarterback for that when it's the second start in SEC football. That's just that's just tough. Like that's just a tough situation. I'm not I, I would not point the blame to many of the players at all. Obviously, none of them played a perfect game, but they definitely played good enough to win. And also, Keontae Scott, why is he on the wrong yard line every time? Like I get that the punters are good, but do y'all realize – I don't know if everyone here realizes it. Catching a punt is one of the hardest things on a football field to do. And it is a 100 times harder when you have to move. Even just st- – if they kick it right on the yard line that you're standing at, it's not easy to catch. When you have to run 15, 20 yards looking straight up in the air and you have no idea if you're just about to get absolutely lit up, it's really hard to catch it. And obviously, if it hits you in the chest, you need to catch it. But – why can we not put our players in a position that they can succeed? Because the thing is, we are asking these players to overcompensate for what the coaches, the places that the coaches are putting them in. We're expecting the players to go above and beyond what they're supposed to do, and that defeats the whole purpose of a coach. A coach is supposed to put the players in the best position to win the game, the best position to make plays, and the best position to do something. And our coaches just haven't done that. And I think that's where the biggest frustration is, is it's not even things like play calling as much. It's just guys lining up and you're like, why? That's not helpful. You can see it from the stands that it's something is wrong, whether it's film or whether it's just LSU's kicker had or punter had the greatest game he's ever had. But you got to know that. Like, it is your job to know that. And we just didn't. So I just think I had a lot of just a lot of, plays where you were just more mad at the coaches than the players because there's not a single player that is not giving 100% effort on every play they're in, but not every player is put in a position to win. And that's the most frustrating thing about this situation, in my opinion. Yeah. that I mean, and then Brian Harson just coming out and absolutely flat lying in every public appearance he has, I think just speaks to his character as just a trash I mean, there's a reason he can't recruit in the South. And it's because if you can't stick to your word, show up at events, tell the truth in the media, I mean, that's what Coach Speak was invented for. Coach Speak is literally saying saying things that are not necessarily wrong, but are not the absolute truth. And he just flat lies. Oh, yeah, I got confidence in the kicker. No, you don't. Like, come on. Come on, man. I don't believe anything that comes out of the man's mouth. He is a walking lie. Uh, I, I'm I'm so over this man. He is He's just tragic. Um, and he knows that he's getting fired. Everyone knows he's getting fired. Literally, you have people on the team who are not entering the transfer portal because they know that the transfer portal is coming to their coach. They know he's gone. Landon King is taking red shirts. Zach Calzada is taking elective surgery when he's just fine to play football. You have guys jumping ship but not leaving the program because they love Auburn, but they do not like this man as their coach. It's terrible. 
Yeah, and so with the whole Landon King situation, so I have heard from somebody that he he is planning on staying at Auburn. I mean, that could change, but as of today, his plan is to stay at Auburn. This week, he was moved to scout team. So he ran scout team this whole week, which is just shocking to me that you have a guy of Landon King's caliber running scout team, especially with how talented he is. And well, not even that, that was just a mess. Yeah. Exactly. That was just a massive head scratcher to me because it's we all know how good he is. He was they ranted and raved about him in uh you know spring and fall practices. And I get he doesn't know the plays. That's right. Like that is correct. He doesn't know the plays. But you can't tell me when he is the best receiver you have and he makes the most plays in practice, you can't tell me you can't run a fade with him on the goal line situation. You can't tell me that you can't just get him in the game because when the offense is rolling, yeah, you don't want to put the guys that don't know what they're doing. When the offense is stalled and you have a guy on the bench that's better than everybody else, you should play him. And you at least shouldn't have your best receiver and one of your best hands guys running on the scout team because that's just not beneficial to the team. And the fact that a player is planning on staying at Auburn and is taking his red shirt is one of the biggest tells that he is very confident that the coaching staff is just not going to be here next year. You had two fourth and tens that you elected to just chunk the ball deep. And you had a goal line situation where you thought it'd be good for a receiver to throw. And you have the guy who, when it really the rubber met the road, and you had plays from the three-yard line to beat your arch rival, you brought Landon King in. He's had like one pass attempt to him this year, and he absolutely mossed the guy. And then he posts on Twitter, mall some people in practice every day and you don't bring him in because of some just ridiculous reasoning of whether or not he fits the culture or whether or not you want to reward the fact that he doesn't know the plays buddy it doesn't matter that he doesn't know the plays because those aren't going to be the plays next year when you're sitting there watching a formula one race on saturday morning because you've been fired it's i don't understand I, I don't understand a lot of the stuff that this man is doing, and it's just terribly frustrating. Well, and another thing, another thing that annoys me is they weren't even trying to convert on the fourth and down, like the fourth down plays. They were chunking it up to Coy Moore, and I get Coy Moore wins 50-50 balls. He has good hands. You have a guy who's 6'5 that wins those kind of plays all the time. You have another guy that's 6'4 that also wins those kind of plays all the time. You can either put those guys out there and be like, all right, we're just going to throw a prayer up and hope they get it, or you're going to put the smaller guy out there and say, hey, we're going to throw up a prayer and hope they get a pass interference on them. And I'll give it to them. It worked one time, and it got us the first down. But I just don't love hoping for a call, especially in that kind of game when we weren't getting calls. LSU was getting much, a lot more calls than we were. And wh- why are you just going to pray for a pass interference on fourth down? Try and convert it, man. It just doesn't make any sense to me why we're in that kind of moment. We were just so desperate that we just had no confidence that we could get a first down, that we were just going to pray for that. We weren't going to punt it. We could have pinned him deep. You have a punter who, you know, he, you know, Brian said in his press conference, Oscar Chapman's the best punter in the country. I think Chapman, they've returned his punts for less than 10 yards. He's having a great year. And we've all noticed that because we've seen him a lot. You don't trust him to pin him deep. You don't trust your kicker to make a, you know, to make a field goal. You don't trust the backup kicker that was a five-star number one kicker in his class to make it. That's fine. If you don't trust one of those guys, 
trust someone else. Don't trust that the refs are going to throw a flag. Because honestly, refs don't like throwing flags on fourth and down because they don't want to just bail someone out. So I, I just have so many complaints with some of the ways that the game has been managed. And it's the thing that is the most frustrating is that it's such on a such a consistent basis. And you try and defend it, you can kind of see where they're coming from. But when it comes, when it just comes so often, you're just like, look, this just isn't working. No, it's not. <clears throat> so moving on to the Georgia week. Um, you know, Georgia has not looked like the juggernaut that many thought they were. <clears throat> the past two weeks they've had close game. Well, I wouldn't say the Kent State. I think the Kent State game was not what people were expecting. Not necessarily that they were ever in danger of losing. And then Missouri, they trailed most of the game um, to a uh, I guess they're a poor Missouri team. They're um, poor. They are poor. They are a poor team. Well, they're poor at closing games, which is the same as our uh, our beloved Auburn Tigers, who are also poor at closing games. Um, yeah, I, I feel better about the Georgia game. Uh, don't feel great about it. I'm sure Brian's got some... Nice trick plays up his sleeve for turnovers. Uh, I'm to start the second half off. Uh, Noble, what's your read on this game? So the line opened up at you know the for the betters in the in the audience. The line opened up at 28. Um, it has since moved to 30, and it just never feels good when you start as a four touchdown dog and it gets worse as the week goes on. I mean. In every group me I'm in here at Auburn University, everyone is selling their Georgia ticket. I mean, I'm just saying the morale here in Auburn is low on this game. And I really – I don't even think Georgia is that good. I don't think they're anything compared to what they were last year. Jalen Carter's out. Uh, he's, the, you know, their best player on defense. Um, projected first-round pick, preseason All-American. That helps our case, definitely. Um, I mean, their backup's going to be a really solid player as well, so that doesn't really help. But it does help that you're not going to have a first rounder going up against our offensive line. So th that's something to look at. Georgia has definitely looked beatable. Um, this team reminds me a lot more of kind of the Kirby Smart teams of the past. You know, besides last year, Kirby did have a lot of games where he just didn't really play to the talent level that he had. And obviously last year they just obliterated everybody. Um, but this team has kind of looked a little bit normal. Um, you know, they started the first three weeks really strong, then allowed 22 to Kent State at home, and then obviously had the scare against Missouri. Uh, also allowing to, 22 points. Exactly. It, it, it seems to me that Georgia kind of – they had the scare against Kent State, but they knew that they were always – it was almost like they knew they were going to win that game, so they didn't even treat it like a scare. And then Missouri comes and, you know, they – I guess they weren't prepared for it, whatever. Only win that game by four on the road. And, yeah, it was on the road. But let's – I mean, Missouri is not exactly a super intimidating environment. So, obviously, we're playing in Athens. It's a rivalry game. It's going to be a little different. But this Georgia team has not played really good football in, you know, pushing three weeks. And I do think that matters because when you haven't played – it's harder – 
it's harder to get into a rhythm when you haven't been in a rhythm in a little while. And I'll say at least Auburn kind of saw themselves in a rhythm for at least a quarter last game. And the defense has had back-to-back solid games. So I, 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 I would expect to cover in this game. I think that might be a bit of a hot take that I don't think we're going to lose by more than 30 points. Um, that's not exactly saying that I'm confident that we'll win, but I don't know. Georgia just hasn't really impressed in the past two weeks. I think that if we play the Georgia that we saw from weeks one to three compared to week four and five, it's a completely different team. And I just don't really know which Georgia team's going to show up. And we really don't know what Auburn team's going to show up. I mean, Robbie Ashford from, you know, from Mercer to San Jose State to Penn State to Missouri to LSU has been a different guy every week. So I think that if the team that played LSU last week shows up, I think we cover. I think we give them. I think we give them a run for their money if they kind of play how they've been playing the past two weeks. I mean, if the team that played Missouri shows up, we might get worked. So I really don't know what to think of this game, but I don't know. Uh, Georgia just Georgia in the past two weeks just hadn't really been super impressive, and I'm not saying that we'll win, but I don't think we're just going to get drug through the mud unless it's I don't know I could see it happening I just don't think it will and if it does happen I think they'll run away with it late I think it'll be still a competitive game by halftime I think this game will be eerily similar to the Penn State game very close at halftime and the second half is where the game really separates I I don't know what voodoo Brian Harson's been doing in the locker room at halftime but he needs to do the exact opposite of that this week. Um, I think that we'll have a good, you know, first couple of drives. They'll have a good plan like they always do. Um, you know, even against Georgia last year, the first couple of drives we were moving the ball. And then they kind of started figuring out what was up. Um, the thing that I'm concerned about and what Georgia mauled us on last year was the deep ball. I mean, they had the deep ball whenever they wanted it. And um, our coverage has been shaky on the deep ball, um, in my opinion. I mean, a lot of people have said that the DBs have really impressed them this year. You know, I didn't think that LSU really tested the DBs that much, and I thought that they got bailed out a few times by some drops. I mean, LSU was not playing very good football on Saturday. They were not throwing a lot of deep balls. When they did, we got a pass inter- multiple pass interferences. Um, and I don't know. That image of Jalen Simpson getting cooked at the end of the Missouri game is tough to forget when you know that Georgia has a lot better receivers than whatever that fella was doing. So that's my concern. My concern is that they just torture us on the deep ball. Now, we might just play super, you know, soft coverage the entire time to try and prevent getting beat off the deep ball. But I just, I I don't see us winning the game, but I don't see us losing by 30 or more. I think it will be a little bit closer than that. Yeah, and, uh, you know, you mentioned the DBs. The corners had a little bit of rotation. You know, DJ James has been in the starting lineup uh, recently, so he'll be starting against Georgia. Keontae Scott starting at nickel. They started that change um, this past Saturday, and I really do think having Keontae and DJ out there has definitely helped. I think those guys are both, you know, really talented. They've been playing some good football. Um, Something I thought was interesting with 
the depth chart was Austin Osbury, the true freshman, is listed as the backup nickel, which we really haven't seen a ton of him. Uh, J.D. Rime is one of the backup cornerbacks, and we've seen him, you know, fairly often as a rotational piece. So that one doesn't really surprise you as much. But having Austin out there as, you know, straight up the backup actually on the depth chart was an interesting change, uh, in my opinion. Um, and it really does kind of instill a little bit of, I don't know, you don't want to just look to the future the whole time. But it is nice that, you know, we're getting some true freshmen in, getting some young guys in on the defense for the future. But I don't know. I, I think that this this weekend will be interesting. Um, I think getting pressure on Stetson Bennett is an absolute must. I mean, that has been the problem the past two years, I feel like, especially the 2020 year when we played him. We made him look so much better than he was. And I just – that was, I think, one of the most frustrating things. And our pass rush was good. Last week had, I think, around six sacks, something like that. But not having Eculeota is going to be a big hurt because, you know, even – and that Georgia game last year, he was one of the only guys that was consistently getting pressure. So I definitely think that's going to be a rough one. We're going to need Derek Hall um, and Colby Wooden especially to step up. Um, I thought that Marcus Bragg did a decent job stepping in for Eku, but I think that Eku is just a really, really solid playmaker for us this year. So I, it's definitely a big loss to not have him. But, you know, both teams are kind of trading off injuries and – I guess we'll kind of see how it goes. Whose who's backups can step up more will be an interesting storyline to follow in this game. Man, I wonder whose backups are better. The team that has had perennial number one recruiting classes or the team that struggled to crack the top 25 till signing day last year. That is an interesting storyline to follow, Noble. Hey, man. Hey, diamonds in the rough. Diamonds in the rough. You never know. Yeah, that. That's what we're doing now. <sighs> this is just depressing. This, this this is the second straight week where we're going into the game. I did not think that Auburn had a serious chance to win the game until the national anthem was played. And I don't know I don't know that I'm ever going to get there this week. See, I think here's the thing. Having having a game in Jordan Hare you just never feel like you're not you, – you never feel like you don't have a chance. I think that's the thing is, you know, when the national anthem is being played and the opening kickoff happens, when you're in Jordan-Hare, you always kind of have that little inkling inside of you like, okay, we have a chance to win this game. On the road, you don't quite have that feeling, especially not in Athens. I mean, Athens, we haven't won over there in 2005. It's been a long time since we've even been close to winning down there. Uh I really am just – I'm worried about it. I definitely am. I'll be at the game. I'll be cheering on the Tigers, but I'm expecting to get barked at by grown men quite a bit after the game and before the game and during the game. They bark a lot. So, we'll see how that goes. But, so, you know, we, we've mentioned, obviously, you know, you don't want to just mention coaches too much, but do you think – this has been a common, commonly asked question, a common storyline going in through this week. Do you think that a win this weekend saves the ship? Do you think that it that you know it's kind of bailing water right now? Do you think that a win this weekend really changes something? Do you think it kind of postpones anything, or do you think it's it's too far gone at this point? Um, I think it gets them through the end of the year. I I don't think that anyone. I just don't think that this is a working relationship. 
Um, I mean, I think the hay's in the barn, and you can't make your coaching decision based off of one game, good or bad. And I think that there is a body of work that is out there right now that says this program is not headed in the right direction. And the power people at Auburn are not going to stop the hot seat until he's gone. You know, I mean, there's nothing that he can do this season. I mean, I guess if he won out, he could get off the hot seat. But can he really? I really, I really just think it's over. Like it, it is a, it, it's a done deal, but it's not a done deal yet, and it's just the most awkward situation possible. Um, I'm not necessarily a fan. I don't, I don't think firing him in the middle of the year does anything for you, because normally when you fire a coach in the middle of the year, it's because the players have quit and they need a spark. The players haven't quit at all. Not at all. Like. There, there's not a – you're not going to spark them to do anything by firing the guy now. Um, So I don't necessarily see what the help in doing that. You're not going to go hire Lane Kiffin in the middle of the season. You're not going to go hire Deion Sanders in the middle of the season. You're not going to go hire anybody that's worth it hire in the middle of the season because if they aren't coaching right now, they're probably not very good at coaching. Um, yeah. And so it's like, you know, everybody says they're just sitting by their phones on Sundays waiting for him to be fired. And I'm like, I just don't think that that benefits anybody. Like, it doesn't it doesn't change the fact that this season is a total loss. You know, it what see here here's my here's my thing with that. I think that potentially, you know, and we talked about this a little bit. If Matt Rule is one of their guys that they are really high on and they really want him and he gets fired from Carolina, then all of a sudden you're like, okay, we might need to go ahead and get him because then you can get him on campus, get him recruiting and everything. I think the problem is recruiting is frozen right now, and I think it's a really bad spot to be because no one's get, no one really wants to commit to the program when you don't know who the coach is going to be. And when Harson's kind of calling you up, it's like, look, man, like I appreciate the call, but you're not going to be there. Like – that's that's my biggest thing is if maybe if we fire him if Etheridge is the interim he can be calling him and it's like hey at least I'm gonna be here you know they don't know it's very difficult to get guys to commit but also but do we know that that he's gonna be there Etheridge well see I think that if if you're gonna put Etheridge in the interim or whoever is in the interim I think that the interim coordinator is either gonna be Etheridge or Cadillac and I think that one of those guys, if not both of them, has guaranteed a spot at Auburn, whoever they hire. And if you do do that, I mean, let's be honest. Tank Bigsby still being at Auburn is a massive recruiting win for Cadillac Williams. That man can recruit. And I think that that's the thing. I think that these guys could still land some people that really love Auburn, even with the uncertainty that the guys that really do want to come to Auburn and are, you know, in love with the school, in love with the campus and all that, the atmosphere, they can still get those guys even with the uncertainty. I think that a defensive guy is much easier to get than an offensive guy in this kind of a situation because yeah, but, of the fact that but you've got – are you going to be more like – if you're coming to Auburn because you love Cadillac or Zach Etheridge, are you more likely to come to Auburn because they're the interim coach than them being what they are now? 
I just don't think it moves the needle in any kind of way. Like, I mean, I understand what you're saying, and I do agree that Brian Harson is a lame duck trying to recruit right now, but so is anybody else. Like, you you can't, and you don't know who the, the guy is going to be because you're not going to hire somebody in the middle of the season. And so that's what I don't understand with all of these programs that are firing their guy in the middle of the year. You can't start over. All you're doing is saying, hey, all of our players are up for the portal. And you give teams an entire season to reach out to your players and have an interim coach. I, I think it's a bad idea personally to fire somebody in the middle of the season. I mean, you fired him in. He knows that he's fired. Like, he, he's been offered a buyout. He knows that he's not going to be retained at Auburn. Okay, so what yeah. is his effort level on the recruiting trail? It's probably not very high. But does that really matter? Because, I mean, people aren't choosing schools based off of the campus as much anymore as they are the coaches that are there. So, I don't know. I, I personally think it's going to be better to just take it, unless it gets bad. So if the players start look, so 2012 is a perfect example of this. The way the team was in 2012, and they turned on Gene Chizik, that's when you fire a guy in the middle of the year to try and end the toxicity so you don't have just an entire season of festering emotion where you have no opportunity to win. As long as the team is coming out and playing like they did against LSU, even if they are losing in the worst second-half adjustments ever, I mean, that's different than the team has turned on somebody, in my opinion. I I agree. I, I do see – I see exactly where you're coming from. I can definitely see both sides, but I don't disagree with anything you just said. And the last thing I'm going to kind of ask you about uh, – we're running out of time, but with Robbie Ashford's performance last Saturday – do you think that TJ Finley will take another snap at Auburn as a starter? Uh, no, not as a starter, but yes, I do. Because Brian Harson is a moron. He makes literally <laughs> the worst decisions in the entire world. And like I said, it looks like he's tanking. And so, yes, I can 100% see him taking the quarterback that is clearly inferior and putting him out there just like he did to start the season. Yes. There is a reason that Landon King is redshirting and a reason that Zach Calzada went and got surgery. This man hates the coach so bad he chose to go get surgery. Can you imagine being in a situation so bad that your best option is to go get surgery? That is miserable because he's fine. he was fine enough to play. He was fine enough to play. He was cleared to play. He was playing in the scrimmages and did not get hurt again. And he chose to go get an, another elective surgery. You have got to be really down bad on somebody for that to be the option in your life. So, yes, I can see TJ playing. Props to TJ for loving Auburn, but God love him. Robbie is so much better. TJ has not sniffed 350 yards passing, and Robbie did it in his second start way better, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. I think that Robbie's performance last, you know, this past Saturday inspired you enough that you were like, it might be the end of old TJ for a starter at Auburn, but you know, it, as I like TJ, I really do. I think he, you know, he's, he loves Auburn. He's a, you know, a good person, all that good stuff. 
I do think that Robbie's competitive fire definitely makes you feel good, though. I mean, it's not like he just doesn't care. He really does care. And I think that that is something, you know, that's nice to have on top of his rushing ability and his passing ability. So we'll see how all that works out. There will be obviously more adjustments going into this week. Uh, as we see against Georgia, we'll see how Robbie can replicate the performance that he had against LSU. And, you know, we'll just kind of kind of play it by ear. Hopefully Auburn can – cover the spread for the second time this season. That would be nice. Um, you know, 30-point dogs in Athens haven't won there since 05, but we're going to pray. We're going to pray that Auburn's going to escape with a win, and we'll be back next week with another podcast breaking everything down. And as always, thank you guys for listening, and War Eagle. War Eagle, and thank you, Band, for winning the Battle of the Bands. We